0: So, okay, let's talk about uh, MDMA. Uh, When a lot of people hear MDMA, they think of molly or ecstasy. So just a real quick point on that. I want to set the record straight. And all of this is directly from the National Institute of Health, the NIH. MDMA is a synthetic drug that acts as a stimulant and hallucinogen. It produces an energizing effect, distortions in time and perception, and enhanced enjoyment from sensory experiences. It has also been described as an an intactogen, intactogen,
1: intactogen,
0: a drug that can increase self-awareness and empathy. So MDMA is a synthetic drug, and the pure form of the drug is called MDMA. But what about ecstasy or X? Ecstasy is most often taken in a pill form. It's a tablet or it's a capsule. But a lot of the time, ecstasy has other stuff in it like meth, ketamine, caffeine, ephedrine, heroin, PCP, cocaine, uh, et cetera. So is X the same as MDA? Probably not, most of the time. Uh, So I'm sure it's possible, um, but we're talking about purely formulated MDMA, which will eventually be medical-grade. Not eventually, it is medical-grade right now. It's in trials, but ecstasy is not, um, you know, uh, guaranteed or even typically uh, medical-grade MDMA. Mm -hmm. Um, and Molly, what about Molly? Molly is slang for molecular. So it refers to the crystalline powder form of MDMA. And it's usually just sold as a raw powder or in capsules. Uh, and most people who know these sorts of things tend to think of Molly as more, um, a more pure, uh, sorry. Most people tend to think of Molly as a more pure form of MDMA compared to ecstasy. But molly can also contain a bunch of, uh, other stuff. So neither molly nor ecstasy should be considered pure forms of medical grade MDMA, which is what we're talking about today. So I just wanted to make all that clear. And by the way, interesting thing I learned, do you know where most uh, MDMA consumed in the United States comes from? Canada. MDMA.
1: Wow. I did not know know that. uh,
0: shocked. Uh, MDMA is illegal (laughs) in most countries, including the United States. And currently has no approved medical uses, but the FDA is currently evaluating the drug for clinical use. So, Faith, That's right. you have a stellar right. reputation in work tech. Your previous company, Collective Growth, was well-regarded and helped a lot of companies. You also have this amazing experience in the financial services industry and in retail. You have a bachelor's and a master's degree in social work and just for good measure, you have an MBA. How in the hell did you find your way to MDMA assisted therapy.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, introduction to that, which by the way, I don't have my MBA yet. Oh, I'm enrolled, okay. but, um, but I am, and I am a certified integral. MBA so, candidate. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So how did I find my way to MDMA? Interesting story during my undergraduate work Um, I started an an independent research project on human potential and post-traumatic growth through the lens of a social worker. This was in 2019. It was also, I could fill three uh, three courses with one independent research project. And I thought, that sounds amazing. And I need to research human potential. I'm calling myself a human potentialist. I should go deep down the path of understanding human potential. And I also want to understand post-traumatic growth, which isn't it interesting that I, that the pandemic had not hit. And I started looking into what post-traumatic growth, what is it? What, how does it have an impact during my studies? Um, uh, the human potential movement started in the United States. I mean, you could you could look at philosophically and go fa- back thousands of years, but I'm just looking in the context of when you know they say the human potential movement started in the United States at eslon mostly Eslon Institute in Big Sur. It started in the 1960s, and you probably will find a name very familiar uh, that that most people will know, Timothy Leary, who was a prof- who was a professor at Harvard. Uh, and there's LSD. There's a there's a product. Obviously, he's the the father of LSD in many ways. He. He was teaching at Esselon with people like Aldous Huxley and all of these incredible Carl Rogers and these incredible thinkers and and teachers. And I'm studying what human potential is through all of these people. And all of a sudden I start to see um, the, the forward path of how the criminalization of drugs. So we started in the 1960s during the human potential movement. There's this love and peace experience. Um, you know, they call them the hippies, and they're, they're they're they are are trying to create a better world. Then we have Esselon Institute, who's teaching around human potential, and has some of the greatest thinkers around human potential. Then you have Timothy Leary, who takes LSD with his students, and the, the, FD, the, the um, FDA swoops in, and we start to we start to criminalize drugs. We start to see this uprise in use of, of psychedelics. And um, I mean, I have my my theories on why it was criminalized, but Nixon declares war on drugs, and these psychedelics that are were shown to improve mental health and outcomes, and MDMA started as a therapeutic drug. It was not. Ex- it got. It got out of the therapeutic circles, and it was yep. then called ecstasy as a party drug. So we're we're seeing this movement of human potential and and ways to self actualize, and there's also mental health benefits to these psychedelics. And we uh, declare war on drugs. We criminalize these drugs. And um, well, you can't. You and, and, can't and then say. Well, I have
0: my theories on why we criminalize drugs, but dot, dot, dot. So what are your theories? (laughs) Uh, Well, you can always cut it in post.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, my, I feel like it's, it is, it's a way if, if we don't allow people to self-actualize, if we're looking at, you know, and you don't have to use a psychedelic to self-actualize. So let me just be very clear about that. But if. If there is a greater access to an altered state of consciousness that allows for healing, or self-actualization, or personal growth, or or um, increased mental well-being, which obviously there's a bunch of research around it, like we still, if we don't allow access to that, what are we doing? We're we're oppressing. We're keeping people sick. We're keeping people stuck. Uh, we're not giving people access to, to plant medicine and to other medicines that are actually proven to, um, to reduce post-traumatic stress disorder after a few sessions, you know, maps, the multidisciplinary right. association of psychedelic science, they have, they're in phase three of clinical trials. So well, my, my, I guess my yeah, point but, is
0: uh, why I think this is a, um a government thing or a pharmaceutical industry thing, or like if we're trying to keep these, uh, you know, um, uh, therapies out of the hands of people, uh, it's either Mm -hmm. for control or for uh, profit, right? So what do you think is the root there? Yeah, or Or both. both?
1: I think there's, I think there's both. Um, From a policy or government perspective, when MDMA was criminalized, the FDA didn't, know it was a therapeutic drug they only knew it as yep. a party drug and so i i want to you know i'm of the nature to always i want to always assume the best in people i don't like to go down the rabbit hole of like how bad things yep. can be and corrupt although i i don't i i do believe there's a lot of corruption obviously um but I think it's both. I think the FDA swooped in for their reasons, you know, to get this drug off the streets. Then we have, you know, I mean, we talked about this, Brett. I think there's modern day slavery and and this, like, how do we criminalize something that can keep people in a system and keep people? I mean, look at cannabis. Come
0: Yeah, reefer madness. I mean, mean, you have to go back to the reefer madness (laughs) campaigns, uh, you know, run in the uh, 50s that were trying to criminalize uh, marijuana. Uh, but you know, yeah. I, my, my master's is in criminology and so a lot of what you're talking yeah. about, yeah. um, you know, resonates very deeply with me, uh, because systemically there are, you know, you just have to, you know, think about like the, uh, different laws that were passed to prosecute crack versus powder cocaine, uh, because right. uh, crack was,
1: and where's yeah, crack, where does crack just mostly exist used by
0: African-Americans yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, it just became, we've got 7 million people incarcerated, uh, in the United States, the vast majority are African American, you know, on and on yes. and on. So, you know, you're, you're preaching to the yeah. choir here, um, telling Noah <laughs> about the flood when it comes to making decisions about yeah. things that could be helpful for yeah. people and trying to keep them out of other people's hands. But I interrupted you and you were talking about, um, how this, uh, journey of, um, you know, the human potential, uh, movement, getting yeah, to where I am, yes, um, led you to incorporating this into some, uh, you know, a journey that you were already on. So this is all the, this is the interconnectedness that you were talking about, right? Like all this stuff's coming together.
1: Yes. So I, uh, I recently, after learning about that, I thought, well, this is really amazing. And then I've just continued to, to research and follow maps and Johns Hopkins. Um, and of course they're focused on psilocybin, but I'm following these researchers all the while I'm focused on. Cultivating potential and elevating humanity in the workplace. I'm focused on liberating and empowering the human spirit. I don't say using mm-hmm. psychedelics. I am focused on how do we create. So there's the advising side. And then I thought, what am, why, what am I here to do? If I say <clears throat> I'm here to liberate and empower the human spirit, <clears throat> what does that mean? And then I started reflecting on my life growing up my my mother has bipolar disorder has bipolar disorder my sister has bipolar disorder my father had untreated post traumatic stress i grew i grew up and am exposed to and genetically predisposed to mental health disorders that will that can dramatically impact my life and that did dramatically impact my life and it has dramatically impacted my family's life and why wouldn't i I just started seeing, okay, it's human potential. There's this feeling of growth and love that we all want. The, the root, the undercurrent of being a human being, the human condition is love. Like we are here to be interconnected. We are here to provide and contribute our talents and energy And gifts to the world. And some of us don't have the capacity to do that or the access to do that because they are stuck in a state of mind in a state of consciousness that has, has paralyzed them in ways to be able to move forward or to contribute. Or maybe there's a mental pattern that stops them from being able to continue to advance. And I believe that had that happened to my family and to my, and so I'm just, I'm just seeing like, there's such a connection and where do we have the widest population the, the largest population of people that we can impact in the workplace? Well, yeah. so I want workplaces to start if, if they aren 't already like once this is F- MDma is fda approved and, and the research on it is so profound i mean i 'm just just really blown away by rick doblin 's work and his team 's work, but once this is approved insurance companies have to underwrite this into their insurance like uh employers should start adopting this as part of not should I don't want to say should they the the invitation is for them to consider how they can can give their people access to this under now this isn't I'm not saying everybody needs this at all I'm talking about it a therapeutically assisted psychedelic experience if people are experiencing mental health conditions that have stopped them from being able to experience, um, they, they're, they're in, they're stuck. We should have access to these, um, these drugs that, that provide a, 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 access to a different state of consciousness that helps us heal, that allows us to connect to our inner healing wisdom. So we can be, we can show up and contribute in, in a, a really meaningful well, way. I, and I was going to, no, I oh, just, sorry. I love your
0: answer. Uh, because, uh, to me it's Thanks. like, okay, so we haven't cured cancer, right? Cancer's not cured. So we keep trying. Yeah. No one would say, Hey, let's not investigate a cure for cancer. Right. Because the job's not done yet. Clearly right. we have not cured mental illness. We have not cured PTSD. No. We have not cured depression. We've not cured any of these things. So why would we stop? scientific discovery and, uh, you know, trying, uh, different avenues until we uh, can get a handle on fixing these problems that destroy people, families, communities that make it so hard uh, for so many people. So, um, but there's still that, just, you know, that stigma it's like, uh, Oh, is it even really a real thing? Is PTSD a real thing? So I read about 15, uh, academic, um, articles from medical journals in preparation for this. Um, And there's a big, uh, you know, kind of debate around, there's no debate around MDMA. So I'll just Mm -hmm. read this real quick and then we'll get to the debate. The most reputable medical journals in the world, like the New England Journal of Medicine, The Lancet, the Journal of American uh, Medical Association, and the most reputable psychology journals like uh, Psychological Review and American Journal of Society have published peer reviewed articles on the efficacy of mdma for various disorder uh, disorders one article i read in nature reported the findings of a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled multi-site phase three clinical trial test well that was a lot i bet a lot of people understand yeah. a lot more about what that means after covid than they did before covid <laughs> that's a serious trial that's a phase Probably. three clinical trial to test the efficacy of mdma for the treatment of patients with severe ptsd association, depression, substance use disorders, and childhood trauma. And here is a quote from that article. These data indicate that compared with manualized therapy with inactive placebo, MDMA-assisted therapy is highly efficacious in individuals with severe PTSD and treatment is safe and well-tolerated, even in those with comorbidities. Mm -hmm. We conclude that MDMA-assisted therapy represents a potential breakthrough treatment. That merits expedited clinical evaluation, and all the journal all the journals yes. pretty much back up that same position. I mean, you're not surprised by any of that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, but I just I get so much joy out of hearing it every single time. It makes but me this smile. stuff all
0: sounds pretty heavy, right? Like these are heavy conditions, PTSD, mm. you know, stuff like that. How does uh, mm-hmm. MDMA-assisted mm-hmm. therapy fit into the workplace? And the reason I brought, it, uh, brought up the controversy is because I was going to ask you do we have PTSD from COVID and this, this is the debate that is raging in the academic journals right now. It's like, they're getting really specific about, okay, well, PTSD is defined as it has to be an acute episode where, you know, death was possible. And so half the people are like, no, this is totally PTSD. And half the people are like, "Uh, no, this isn't PTSD at all. It doesn't meet the clinical criteria. And so, you know, if like, I'm just trying to make this connection of if, you know, right now MDMA is, uh, you know, basically mm-hmm. be considered, uh, uh, is being tested as a very serious treatment for some very serious, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, mental health issues. Yeah. Do we already, you know, like have a larger manifestation of those very serious issues because of COVID going on in the workplace and how does, you know, everything that we just talked about, how does that work at work? Does that make sense?
1: Oh, Yes. so, I'm trying to like pick where I want to start. So first of all, the definition, I mean, this is words create our reality. If you have a strong enough perception, or if you go down a certain path, you can argue against anything. Most like you can, you you can always take a side, you can always take a different perspective. And that's the beauty of. Multiple perspectives and, you know, diversity of perspective and neuroscience diversity. Um, what I will say about post-traumatic stress and, and from from research that I've I've read from work that I've done, I want to get into. I've focused on post-traumatic growth, not post-traumatic stress disorder, but sh- post-traumatic stress is any time you can you do not have the capacity to be you you don't have the capacity to be with reality anymore it doesn't like if you can't move from an experience and you are you stay in that experience because somatically and physiologically that stress is stuck in our bodies which then impacts our mindset so post-traumatic stress doesn't yes veterans are our are, are, are military is probably the prime example of where this all started but post-traumatic stress can absolutely be more than what what yeah. you describe as a or the clinical definition of it it's Anything that stops us from being able to cope yeah. and no longer and what's cope. the difference between and the pandemic has broken that like has 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 impacted us so and much. What's
0: the difference between PTSD and post traumatic growth?
1: Yeah, well, post traumatic growth is actually the ability to reframe, not the ability. It is the to grow from the stress to thrive to turn a crisis into a calling, to see the deep lessons of that crisis of the, of the stress or the trauma, to work through it in a way that it actually helps you grow and it and continue to move forward in life. So it's basically taking adversity. And we, we started off the conversation. It's like, how do you take what's happening and turn it into something that we can learn from and we can grow from and evolve? So we are growing from the pain and the trauma, um, of course, that takes you know, different modalities and continue It's different time for everybody. But post-traumatic growth is, what did I learn from this? How did it change me Um, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally? And how am I going to move forward with this as a way to even contribute to the world in a better place, uh, contribute to the the world in a more meaningful way? Well,
0: uh, Yale uh, did a uh, meta-study where they looked at like 36 uh, different studies on uh, MDMA. Uh, and it's uh, use in um, uh, psychedelic assisted therapy. And they basically speculated, mm-hmm. they didn't speculate across these 36 studies. Uh, they said the um, average projection for how many people had experienced trauma just nor- before the pandemic, just yeah. walking through life yeah. every day, that about 26% of people have experienced trauma of some kind. And, and that was previous to the pandemic. So in your work, it seems like there really is, like I was curious uh, going into our conversation, whether uh, the MDMA assisted therapy was really driven towards trauma uh, in, you know, that integration phase that you're talking about and, you know, bringing all this stuff together. Was it really yeah. about a trauma yeah. or was it a, a wider net that you were casting? But it does sound like you are a pretty, uh, it sounds like you're focused somewhat on the connection between uh, you know, the use of this therapy and trauma and what percentage, like if you just had to guess, like how many people have you come across in your conversations that you suspect have experienced mm. some sort of trauma and that's impacting how they, uh, you know, uh, walk through life and interact in that environment yeah. that you're talking about inside the organizations that you're brought in to help.
1: i my honest answer is everyone. Like I, I, I don't, i would say the people that i work with now some people are really good at like not showing it or talking about it you don't it's um every every single person if anybody told me they have not been changed by what is happening Mm -hmm. right now i would say that's like wake up you're not awake if you haven't been changed in some way um or have experienced just some life altering whether good or bad experience from this because it's not just about the pandemic and we know that this is systems of oppression breaking i mean these are this is all of the isms that are are coming at racism and you know sexism we had the me too movement we had this is all back to back experiences that the Black Lives Matter. The these massive, these monumental social constructs that are being ripped. up I mean, we're we're tearing everything apart right now. Things are crumbling, and then we added the the COVID. Yeah. Like this isn't just COVID nineteen. This is that actually is the the straw that broke the camel's back. Like I don't that that is a we have a cluster. Of events that are happening that are hurting people deeply. Um, So, if anybody says they haven't been impacted, or, you know, how, so I guess how this all plays out into. Um, the employee experience is we have a responsibility as leaders of organizations, as people, whether you lead a team, we all lead ourselves, but whether you lead a team, you run a company, you are a policy maker, um, we have a major responsibility to respond to the needs of our people right now. And those needs are deep and it's not, you know, not only are we healing or, or, or creating a space where people can heal so they can, they can perform too, but we are reshaping the future (laughs) and we need to listen to our, we need to, we need more voices and advocacy and, and listening to people who are saying there's a better way to create a future. We have an opportunity to rebuild and let's listen to new voices and new perspectives.
0: Well, so what I think I heard you say, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not going to use your exact words, but I think I heard you say that uh, companies bear a responsibility for the mental health of their employees. Yes. How many Thank people, no, no, it's perfect. I just want to, I want to put a fine point on that. How many yes, people, people do you think agree with that? And I'm not talking about employees. I'm talk, How many business owners or executives do you think agree with the position that companies have a responsibility for the mental health of their employees?
1: I would say if they don't agree now, then they have no employees. So uh, whether they agree wholeheartedly and in their intention and in the or just say like, oh gosh, I have to agree because this is the way the world is going. If they don't agree, they're in a really bad place right now, in my opinion. They're they're not as in an optimal state of um, ability to be innovative and creative and uh, wow their clients. Like if your te- if your, if your, if your internal stakeholders, your team members, your employees are not well, nothing else. I'm not sure what else works. So I would. I hope you know, I don't want to, I I hate to sound like it should be this way or that I I want to like demonize anybody. What I want to say is we have the opportunity to absolutely adopt the mindset that we have to be stewards of human development, that we have to take on this responsibility as leaders to respond to the needs of our our people.
0: I agree. So first of all, I think that, um, you know, companies have a tremendous responsibility and what I'm really tired of what, you know, like what drives me nuts. though is the, uh, but it's also good business. So like, when do we get to stop convincing people, uh, that it's good for business and that's why you should do it? It's like, yeah, you know what? It actually is good for business, but that's not why you should do it. You should do it because of the tremendous sacrifices that people make every day, just working jobs for companies. I mean, the value, uh, you know, exchange is way out of balance and you should do it because it's the right thing to do, not because. Exclusively, That's it's a, right. you know a means to an end. Um, but what are you going to do?
1: Well, you're to answer that, Brett. Like this is a inner question of ourselves. Like, what do we believe is right in the world? Or what do we believe as leaders, um, which then informs the policies that we create in our organizations, our HR policies, our our benefits, our compensation philosophy. Like, it's all driven by what we think about the world and what we think about people, about humans. And so the great companies who believe this, which is, you know, hopefully more and more continue to emerge. Um, you are one of those co- companies and people that believe this wholeheartedly. Um, so I think the convincing is for me, which I would say, like, everybody needs a therapist or a coach. like. When we go inward and we do our own work, then it's only natural for it to come come outward and that we start making decisions from a heart-centered place and from a place of we're all interconnected. If I hurt you, I hurt myself. And um, there's a great... Uh, th- I mean, of course, there's research out there. Like Firms of Endearment is a great book that talks about the, you know, how investing in your people has a great return on, on so many levels. Conscious capitalism focuses on a multi-stakeholder approach. There, there are other philosophies out there. Oto Shamar, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He's a professor at MIT. He wrote a book um, called Leading from the Future That Is Emerging. So, how do we st- there's research out there, although executives aren't gonna want to read a bunch of research. Um, and there's, I think we just have to continue to, to create platforms for people to have a voice and, um, and create a ripple effect in change by having these conversations, but it starts in here.
0: I I totally agree.
1: Um, Oh, wait, by the way. So Chip Conley, who, um, is the founder, he was the founder of Joie de Vie. Um, uh, hotel hospitality group which was purchased later down the road by Hilton and then he was at the hospitality the the he oversaw the hospitality experience at Airbnb at a very early stage the founders he was very early do you know Chip Conley Mm -hmm. have you heard of him Okay, so he wrote a book, many books, but one of them is called Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow. And he's this—he's operated like this, his entire, you know, he built a company around Maslow's hierarchy of needs and translated it into different, the customer needs, the employee needs, and the, the shareholder, the investor's needs. But one of the coolest things that his book starts out open with is Maslow stating that mass therapy and that or it was related to mass therapy and the... And and the business world um, has the most was the most efficient and profound way to reach people. Let me say that again. I feel like I butchered that. Mass therapy and bi- the business world was the most efficient and profound way to reach people. So we're saying there's a built-in yeah. audience. Like we've got these humans in this environment. Let's help them. And Timothy Leary. He Chip Conley actually met Timothy Leary at one of his yeah. hotels. And Timothy said to Chip, um, business people, although he said um, people would probably hate that I'd say this because he's talking about business leaders and that obviously wasn't his focus, but business people have the greatest potential to transform the world for better. Timothy Leary said that.
0: Not surprising. Um, Yeah. um, But you're right. And the, the other side of it is not just access, but also... You know, um, most employees, uh, in, especially in large workforces are in a position where they have to be open to feedback. That's like part of the part of the gig, like in your personal life, you can be totally shut down when it comes to feedback. You're not going to last in a job for very long if you were totally closed down to feedback.
1: Okay. Yes. Can I say something? I, I just cut you off. Okay if we have to be open to feedback in the workplace and we can actually cultivate the ability to like hear feedback and integrate the feedback and make the changes imagine what we how we would show up in our relationships imagine how maybe we become better parents because of it maybe we we become better partners or community leaders but this is the this is the interconnectedness is like if you want people to. Anyway, you haven't an, you shape people's lives, and it can have a positive. I totally effect. agree.
0: I mean, I do believe that a good job can change people's lives, and in so many ways, uh, including yeah. just how they walk through life, and uh, how pleasant yeah. they are <laughs> to be around, how yes. they are at developing yeah. and uh, maintaining yeah. relationships. If you have a commitment to people, yeah. uh, and you stick with it. um, and I say that as a deeply flawed, uh, human <laughs> who is surrounded by people much better I mean, than myself. Uh, couple more questions on MDMA. Um, so yes. walk me through it. What does the timeline look like, uh, here, uh, before, you know, there are, well, for, for you and for, because or even for the, if you, you can't yeah. be ready because the world's not ready yet, right? Uh, so right. when does true. all of this yes. stuff converge? This is true. How long before yes. I, as a vice president of human resources or benefits in a large company, can recommend to uh, you know my um, you know executive management team that we partner with a group who, among many things, also provides access uh, to MDMA or psychedelic assisted mm-hmm. therapy? How far away are we from that? Mm-hmm
1: okay so there's two ways to answer this the first answer is from a clinical perspective for therapists for clinicians in a private practice Um, mdma is projected and this is i just listened to a podcast with rick doblin and this was i mean he i think this was just in december that he was on And he is projecting based on phase three clinical trials and the statistical significance of these trials and the the outcomes that the FDA could be ready to approve by mid to late 2023, early 2024. So that's when it's coming to therapists and clinicians. And of course you have to be trained in psychedelic assisted therapy. Now your question about when I think the available or when I, I guess the is the question when I think workplaces should be ready or when it should be coming to workplaces, because the, what I need, what I have to understand or what companies have to understand is you're going to have to work with, you know, insurance companies are going to have to change if they are going to, approved this is an fda approved yep. drug and i can get this from a clinician a trained clinician then and i, I don't want my employees to have to pay you know a, a large amount for this or maybe i cover the copay or i cover it completely as part of their benefits package you know i don't i, I actually that is a, a, probably a much mm-hmm. longer process uh because you're gonna work with these insurance brokers and first of all we don't even have most insurance companies don't write a lot of mental health in general mental access to mental health and behavioral health has been so um, undervalued compared to medical uh benefits for so long we have not ever invested i mean this is just yep. in the two, late 2000s that we actually started underwriting Mental health and behavioral health. So now we're going to add psychedelic-assisted therapy. Um, so that's probably a little bit longer. But I do think companies can start having conversations now about their, you know, are, are we going to offer this as part of our in our insurance yeah. plan, or you know, who are the insurance brokers out there that are having this conversation? What do we? What is our perspective on it? Because there's a a, a resurgence globally right now, and so companies will. People are going to want. Um, access these are these are people working inside of organizations that have bipolar disorder yeah. or, or that extent that ha- or depression or post-traumatic stress disorder now I think the the focus will likely be on different populations of people when this drug is um, available like these are much like the clinical yeah. research on veterans and and um, depression so I think they'll probably phase it in different populations so I don't know about the employee population but I think it,
0: Well, in large companies, you know, what's probably going to happen is eventually it'll be part of a – all the well-being companies um, who work with very large customers tend to focus the majority of their time on the um, highest risk portion of the employee population. So they'll use a, you know, a health risk assessment or something like that to find people who – uh, you know, um, are at risk of diabetes or metabolic syndrome or, you know, hopefully in the future, yeah. uh, PTSD or, you know, uh, whatever. And then uh, treatment will be targeted uh, at that portion of the population. But let's take all the insurance stuff off the, you know, the table and the complexities associated with yeah. that. Um, I'm, yeah. uh, you know, just a person who has a business and uh, employees and I believe in it um, and I'm willing to pay for it. I don't care about uh, insurance. How soon before mm-hmm. uh, I can recommend um, or, uh, 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 you know, say yes to someone who requests it, um, MDMA-assisted yeah. therapy, how long before that's a reality where, you know, uh, we can just make that happen?
1: <laughs> well, so they, they'd have to go to a clinician, and then the clinician would would provide uh, the diagnosis. Like, you have to have the condition in order to be treated um, to use this yeah. this this drug encapsulated in therapy. So if, you, if you're if you asking, like, I'm Brett, I have an office in Fort Worth and California, uh, right? Yeah, Is it seems California? So. Okay. Um, then the my answer would be, first of all, obviously when it's yeah. FDA approved, but you'll have to find clinicians in your area um, or you'd have to find clinicians yeah. in your area and then tell your team, hey, if you are... I mean, obviously there's HIPAA and you can't like you can't talk to people about their medical conditions, but you can say as a company, if this is a treatment that you are seeking and um, and you find it meaningful and you go through the process, then, you know, we could I guess you could. just. Yeah, pay for I mean, it. it
0: sounds like to me, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned the date uh, FDA approved, probably, you know, 2023, 2024, uh, based on um, uh, some people's projections in the industry right now. It sounds like for a while, it's probably going to fall under a lot of um, important and desirable, uh, you know, kind of treatments, but not become part of the corporate culture immediately. And so, you know, I might be right. able to recommend to someone at work that they see a therapist uh, and even give them a referral to a therapist, but that's different than having like a, you know, a therapist on staff or having it part of, you know, right. integrated, you know, kind of like, you know, a lot of big companies, for instance, yeah. have clinics inside their offices, uh, where people can get flu shots, yeah. and, uh, you know, get treatment for, you know, um, you know <laughs> yes. minor uh, ailments. Uh, but not a lot of people have, you know, a therapist on staff or, you know, et cetera. And so there still seems yeah. to be this uh, bridge that needs to be built between what is possible and available and what companies um, work hard to make sure is available uh, to their people. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like yes. that's just going to be an yes. ongoing conversation that we need to keep having
1: yes absolutely and part of you know part of the 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 thought process for me is there's like clinical work that i'll focus on and then advising work that i'll focus on and i know we talked about like how you know there's how does this ultimately get blended but um my i think the best things the best thing companies can do right now is eliminate the stigma around therapy is to work toward telling their employee population, whether it's coaching or please use our mental health benefits. Please use, you know, seek help when you when you need help or advocate for uh, mental health services that's the first step because then you start to say like this is all okay whatever whatever therapy you get that's that is provided by your clinician is your work to do know that as a company we believe in it we wholeheartedly support your mental health and that we have benefits so you don't have to pay you know out of pocket which a lot of therapists are a lot of, we take a lot there's therapists that take insurance and then some are out of pocket so wow. anyway the basis is start now by making mental health matter in your workplace.
0: Great points. It was a real pleasure, uh, speaking with you today. And I'm going to end with a question that you brought up that you use. Um, you brought it up earlier and you use it when you're, uh, trying to integrate, uh, the findings and, uh, the results, um, uh, from, uh, the work yes. that you do. So how would you want people to feel after, listening to you or watching this podcast. Did I ask that right?
1: Yeah. How would I want people to feel? I would want them to feel inspired, um, hopeful, uh, intrigued, like curious. Um, I'd like them I hope they feel that it was a, a meaningful, you know, their their time was well spent in a meaningful conversation. And I hope they they feel this energy to take some sort of action. You know, it doesn't have to be to call faith and let's talk about this. But I hope they, they start to percolate and really deeply think. I, I hope they feel like this is something that I need to think about and consider. And this is really interesting. And um, I'm hopeful for a better future. And
0: so who should who engaged? should reach out to you?
1: Uh, well, HR leaders, um, we, I I work with founders. This has been my, my set, my, my client list, but HR leaders usually reach out to us first, uh, executives or people on some sort of leadership team that might be overseeing a business unit or a major strategic initiative. This somebody in the C-suite or founders. Why
0: should they reach out to you?
1: Because there is a new future that is emerging and there, we have to meet the needs of, of our people. And we have a real, they have a massive opportunity to lead with love and to support human development. So if they want a better future and a better workplace and retention and attraction of top talent, and they believe they have a responsibility to support human development and they're excited about it, then that's, that will be one. Really why.
0: the last question then, how can they reach you?
1: Oh, good question. So you mentioned my website earlier uh, which is www.tula.love love and it is I will just put it out there that it's not complete so we will be working on um, making some updates over the next two months. And Tula by the way means become in Finnish so it's become love and or you could email me at faith at tula.love and i would love to just talk
0: awesome and you can't forget Love, and in case you forget the email address there is a contact form uh, on the website so people should be able to get in touch yes. with you thank you so much uh, for your time uh, faith
1: you're welcome was this a, was this meaningful for I you brett how do you feel
0: fantastic